When Rose's dear aunt, who she can't stand, passes away, her duty to give the eulogy brings her biggest fear to the forefront. Hoping to get support from her best friends, Blanche and Dorothy agree to join her for the funeral, the location of which brings up not only Dorothy's but Blanche's fears too. Will the girls make it to the funeral alive? Will Rose overcome her fear of speaking? Will Dorothy rip the armrest out of the plane? Will Blanche figure out what to do with all of those bald men? All of that and more in today's episode, Nothing to Fear But Fear Itself. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come. The title of today's episode is taken from the 1933 inaugural address of President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Zooming into the house, not all that different from last week's episode, we're delighted to encounter Sophia in the kitchen pulling out a deliciously Italian-looking dish. In her bright red, yellow, and blue blouse with an apron, she is about to make history. No, Dorothy, who has arrived in a blue blouse and the most narrow moss-green vest, she hasn't perfected her non-rolling meatballs, for which there must be a good story. As funny as Dorothy thinks she's being, Sophia isn't a fan of her jokes. It's not like she's automatically funny just because she has a chin like the eventual Tonight Show host Jay Leno. Technically, she just has a chin. Jay's notable chin is actually caused by prognathism, or a bulging of the lower jaw. Arriving at the kitchen, equally excited for the delicious-smelling food, is a burnt coral blouse over a light-collared shirt-wearing Blanche. What Dorothy has been joking about and Blanche is drooling about is Sophia's lasagna. She's entering the dish in the Daughters of Italy cooking competition. Giving them each a microscopic serving of some of the burnt cheese in the corner of the pan, Sophia doesn't care that they both find it delicious. She knows it's trash. The girls are confused why Sophia would think that, especially since they were literally telling her how good it was. But she didn't need their words. As a chef, all she needs is a face. A face of total ecstasy, a face that Sal put on her face once, so she knows what she's looking for. Barely hearing her mother's words, Dorothy gives her a, that's nice, Ma. Nice? A face of unadulterated pleasure was made by Sophia once in 52 years of marriage? Come on, Sal. Before Dorothy has to hear any more about her father being a terrible lover, Rose has come in in the largest light brown pants she's ever worn and an assortment of periwinkle and white tops, including a sweater with random white horses galloping across her bosom and a white and blue vertically striped shirt beneath. Nearly sobbing, Rose sets the mail down on the table, informing the girls it has arrived. 
Blanche is no detective, but she's on to something when she guesses that Rose has bad news. Dorothy is shocked that Blanche thought that. It's like she's the amazing Kreskin. Fun fact slash side tangent, now that Kreskin is part of our vernacular here on the show, I wanted a frustrated sounding clip for that moment, so I looked up amazing Kreskin yelling. What I hadn't realized was that I knew of him from this clip a few years ago. If you haven't seen the whole thing, please go to YouTube and put in Amazing Kreskin Yelling or Amazing Kreskin Reporter and watch this. The news anchor does not understand the assignment, and it sends him to the brink of a mental collapse. You'll love to see it. Six of hearts, the king, the jack, you should be letting it relax by itself, the ten... I hate what you... Now, I've never had this happen in my... All you have to do is to relax and let a, clay, a, a coin fall. I mean, uh, you're resisting. Don't resist. Just a two. It could be a two. It could be a four. It could be a seven. It could and be a jack. we have to the weather right now. Yeah. We're all right. We'll see it tomorrow night. I asked... Yes, it's going to be at the Roanoke Civic okay. Center. All I asked at, at, at the auditorium, this is the first time in all the years of television, this is ever, all you had to do was to let a <laughs> too, coin too much relax pressure. like this. You see, all you had to do is to shout easy to let, you could have let go of it. You could not separate your fingers. It was impossible to do it that, was, was it? Well, while they're working that out, we're going to check out the weather. In fact, I might get Chris going to come over here. And, and I, in fact, I dropped my pencil a couple times during that. I don't know which card he named. But at any rate, we're going to go outside and show you what is a wonderful day. A weeping rose lets the girls know that they were right. She does have bad news. Her aunt has died. Sure, losing a family member is sad, but Rose couldn't stand the lady, leaving Blanche and Dorothy confused as to why she would be crying at the loss. It's not because she's dead. It's that Rose is the one who has to give her eulogy, and her biggest fear is glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Rose isn't alone in that feeling. There are estimates that 77% of people fall somewhere on the anxiety scale when it comes to doing so. Another G word is why she must give the eulogy. Gertrudeplerken. The Lindstrom family tradition of having the oldest niece give the tribute, not the act of wearing a herring poacher, which I still don't know what that is, as a hat. Oh, I would think maybe it would be like a, a pot or a pan that you poach the herring in. Oh, see, this is why we talk it out. So wearing a, a herring cooking pot as a hat. I believe so. Which was the original meaning of Gerperchenlerken. As we all know. After hearing this nonsense, Dorothy knows one thing for sure. No one in Rose's family had the smarts to win a game of Jeopardy. Rose doesn't care about Dorothy's teasing. She's known the eulogy duties would come for her one day, and she has been dreading it. But Dorothy has a trick. Just picture your audience naked. I've never been a fan of this idea. Number one, Ew, and rude. What an invasion of privacy. Number two, with the focus you would use to do that, you could focus on centering yourself and making sure you feel calm. Susanna Baum, a contributor for the Huffington Post, wrote about two tricks you can do to actually help quell your fears. Number one, be prepared. That may seem obvious, but besides being well-educated on what you'll be speaking about, it also means preparing the space. Having your technology all set, along with what you'll be saying, will have you feeling a lot more calm than boobies and wieners all over the place. Secondly, practice. Run through your script if you have one, or just walk through the presentation. Imagine questions that might come up, and just get comfortable with what you'll be saying. 
All of that preparedness will give you the confidence to manage your fears. Besides the nude thing taking away from your focus, one doesn't really want to be doing that at a family event. Dorothy then doubles down on her recommendation, saying it'll not only ease Rose's anxiety, but she might even find herself laughing. Cue Blanche giving Rose's imaginary naked body a once-over and a shrug, then taking a look at Dorothy and cracking up at what she imagines she looks like under those layers. Soon, Rose joins in, and the pair are nearly in tears, laughing at Dorothy's behind. Oh, boy. It's a new day, and a new dish is being cooked for the contest. Sophia, in a purple paisley dress, is at the stove working on her good luck marriage-saving veal parmesan. Dorothy, in her purple, chaotically striped, off-center draped shirt, knows the start of a story when she hears one. Sophia, with a story? Does Jasha Heifetz, the Russian-American violinist, use rosin on his bow? Well, I would hope so. Otherwise, the lack of friction would leave us all unable to hear his talented playing. Preparing her daughter for an emotional story, Sophia takes her back to the Depression in Brooklyn, when she and Sal were newlyweds. They had gotten into their first argument, impressive as they were already married and hadn't had a fight, and Sal left. Upset Sophia took to the kitchen to work out her emotions, and she cooked the veal parmesan. The veal was stubborn and tough, which I always thought veal was kind of a succulent meat, but that's about as much as I'd like to think about baby cows. Anyway, it represented Sal, the spicy and sweet sauce, Sophia, and the cheese, it gives, but it doesn't break, and it's like their marriage. As sweet as the metaphor is, Dorothy's missing where the luck part came in. Well, maybe not lucky like winning the lottery, so much as lucky as in Sophia got lucky, and pregnant with Dorothy that night. Also lucky, Sal never found out it happened the night of the veal, otherwise he'd probably never have it again. In her classic bright green dress, Rose and Blanche in a cream sweatshirt covered in doilies and sweatpant combo have joined in the kitchen. Rose is certain she will fail when it comes to giving the speech, no matter how much Blanche tries to cheer her on. Rose's certainty comes from experience, an experience back in St. Olaf. Hoping she could get away on foot to avoid the tale, Rose promises she will chase Blanche if she tries. Giving up, the ladies all sit at the table, and we learn that Rose had a small class of peers in high school, only 19 seniors, and she was in fourth place. With a drawing of straws, she was chosen as valedictorian. Coco, random question. Yo! Since you went to a private school, did you have like a really tiny class size, like your graduating class? I feel like it was a little bit over 100. Oh, okay. I couldn't say though, but maybe, well, a little over, a little under, right at, something like that. Not oh. a lot. Yeah, pretty small school. That's a pretty good size. Um, I was not the valedictorian, nor the <laughs> salutatorian. Notorians uh, I was not for in you. the honor society. Also, my colors were gold and brown, so my cap and gown were brown. Nice. I was like a silk <laughs> silk turd. Boy, I was happy that night. That oh, was yeah. just the best. That was Freedom. the best. I don't have to do that ever again. Yeah. God, I hated it. <laughs> <gasps> Sound the alarm. We've got a plot whoopsie here. I don't want to give too much away for anyone like our Coco here who is watching in order, but in the next season, it's alleged that she never graduated high school. 
<laughs> oh, just you wait. With everyone in town at her graduation, Rose was nervous. She started out okay, saying, It's a big world, but you're going to have to change buses at the St. Olaf area of Tyler's Landing if you're going to go see it. And even after extensive Googling, I'm not certain if that is or is not a real place. But from there, the fear of speaking in front of everyone, including the mayor, got to her and she blew it. Since then, Rose has been terrified to speak in public. After wasting her time listening to the story, Sophia declares that the next time they're given the option, they make a run for it. Attempting to comfort her friend, Dorothy shows understanding, saying she too has been debilitated by fear before. Which is shocking news to Blanche, who can't believe her big, strong, strapping friend wouldn't be brave 24-7. Well, it's not like she's Joe Frazier, the first boxer to beat Muhammad Ali, the heavyweight champion from 1970 to 1973, and a gold medal-winning Olympian whose son Derek would go on to tarnish his legacy as a horrible house guest on Big Brother last year. But he did slide down a, a ramp very fast and slamming oh you a, like a cement log or something. I forgot. And dented it. It was great. <laughs> he liked to sleep a lot. The Otev challenge. Yeah, he that probably really hurt. He and he slept so much. He was and going then... 80, 80 or 90 miles an hour when it happened. <laughs> Terminal velocity. He actually blew through the log, caught the entire set on fire. <laughs> Some say he's still sliding to this day. <laughs> No matter how brave Dorothy seems to be, she had her fear, hers being a fear of flying. Also not unusual, about 40% of people report feeling sky anxiety. Only about 2.5% of those folks have a debilitating fear where they cannot get on a plane. Before she could hop on a plane to go to her sister's wedding, Dorothy went to therapy and got help for managing those fears. It's totally normal. Everyone's afraid of something, like Blanche who isn't afraid of anything. Oh, wait, that's not helpful. Well, that's now. Blanche used to have a fear. Well, not so much a fear as a phobia based on a recurring nightmare. There she was, stuck in an enclosed space full of bald men. What could this mean for the man-hungry Blanche? Well, according to CheckMyDream.com, the bald men could represent sexuality, masculinity, and practicality. Along with the bald men she couldn't escape, the dream also included the voice of God. Fed up, she finally told herself to take control. She didn't have to be scared of a dream or give in to it, unless it was one involving the still known as a hunk and not yet a racist Mel Gibson, who was hitting it big at the time with Lethal Weapon and Tequila Sunrise. In doing so, Blanche conquered her fear, just like Dorothy did with therapy. Convincing Rose the fear was all in her head, the girls tell her to go write out her eulogy so she could practice it with them. Excited to give it a try, Rose leaves. With their friend gone, Dorothy confides in Blanche, she's glad she doesn't have to be giving a eulogy for anyone, which has Blanche wondering, well, what about her eulogy? Dorothy laughs before realizing the endlessly needy Blanche isn't kidding. She wants to know what her best friend would say about her at her funeral. On the spot, Dorothy throws out some nice words like generous, lovely, and how they were best friends. Well, that's nice and all for Blanche, but what about what really matters, like her looks? Sure, Dorothy can play along. She was one of, I'm sorry, she was the prettiest friend that she had. 
After giving the forced eulogy with fed lines, Dorothy decides she would like to be showered in compliments as well. So Blanche starts. Having Dorothy in the house always had her feeling safe. You know, the kind of thing you would say about a guard dog. She also enjoyed talking to her about all of her dates and sharing the bond one would with an older sister. This reminds Dorothy that she would add one more thing to hers. Blanche was fat. Oh, come on now, Dorothy. Don't be a bully. Out on the lanai, Blanche and Dorothy are lounging when Rose arrives, ready to practice the speech. Placing Blanche in the casket's location and Dorothy where her uncle would be, she's ready to go. Well, once Dorothy starts humming. Not because that's any kind of Viking tradition, it's just that her uncle hums a lot. Unless he's writing things out in salt. Or using pepper because... Maybe, oh boy, because they were black? When quoting the Motown group, The Four Tops. Maybe? You think that was a maybe? I guess I don't want it to be. Well. Well, I guess I didn't catch it the first time. I just thought it was like, oh, if it's song lyrics. My my naive brain was like, oh, if it's song lyrics, he uses pepper. And then I I realized later, I was like, Oh, wait, was it salt because it's his words and then pepper if it's from black people? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. They've struck again. (laughs) I think a really good way to make sure your show is evergreen and will last forever is to not put racist things in it. I think that's a great... future showrunners out there. That's a great idea. Thank you. Uncle Gunther had a lot of quotes to work with if he was using Four Tops lyrics. Like, ain't no woman like the one I got, when she was my girl, my personal favorite, reach out, parentheses, I'll be there. And the song with the most St. Olafian language, I Can't Help Myself, a.k.a. Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. Getting only half a sentence into what she's written, Rose gives up. She's just too scared. She knows that when she starts to get emotional from her fear, not missing the loathed auntie, everyone will laugh. Well, what the hell kind of family laughs at someone getting emotional at a eulogy? But as Sophia points out, she doesn't need to worry about them thinking she's an idiot. They already know she is. Desperate for support, Rose begs for Dorothy and Blanche to join her at the funeral. Not wanting to go, Blanche waves at Dorothy behind Rose's back to turn down her friend in her time of need. Blanche finally agrees that she'll only go if Dorothy does. And she says she will. So Rose leaves to go make the plane reservations. And Dorothy starts to panic. Who said anything about a plane? That's when Blanche informs her the aunt isn't being buried where they can take an easy 30-minute drive to Fort Lauderdale. She wintered in the Bahamas, and that's where she wants to have her final resting place. So now Dorothy has to deal with an hour-long plane ride. But that should be fine. She's conquered that fear right? Blanche isn't bummed about the flight. She's just annoyed she'll have to go shopping now. It's not like she owns anything that's black that isn't see-through. Relieved her daughter has overcome her fear of flying, Sophia reminds her of just how bad she used to be. The last time Sophia had to take Dorothy on a plane, she tantrumed like nobody's business, and that was when she was 48 years old. Skimming through her magazine, Dorothy assures her mother she's fine and doesn't have a problem with flying which Sophia finds surprising, as a flight to the Bahamas will probably involve a smaller plane, one that's more susceptible to wobbling and turbulence. 
As she reaches out to touch her daughter in a proud moment, Dorothy seizes the opportunity, literally, and grabs her mother, holding herself tight to her chest, begging her to not make her get on that plane. It's the next day, and it's time to fly. Leaving prepared to go straight to the service, Blanche is in an all-black dress, new, I'm assuming, and a gold brooch. Rose is in a black skirt and cardigan with a red undershirt as Blanche checks the weather for the Bahamas in the newspaper. Because that used to be the only way we knew things. What a time. Blanche is excited to hear it'll be sunny and warm, just like Aunt Gretchen always liked it. Optimistic, Blanche hopes that maybe they'll give her an open casket so she can continue to soak up the rays before being buried under the ground. Making up a story of Sophia being sick and needing to go to the hospital, Dorothy comes in in a black skirt and sweater with white accent trim and white shirt. Blanche is confused about Sophia's status as she just left for the cooking contest and seemed fine. Oh, yes, but when she got there, she ate a cannoli that must have been filled with some bad ricotta, and she's in pain and cramping. Just as Dorothy is painting a picture of a pained Sophia, she comes walking in the door, making a bigger comeback than star of 1969's Easy Rider, Dennis Hopper, who after finding fame, also found drugs, leading to some less than popular choices in films and some difficult behaviors. Let's f- anything that moves! <laughs> when he appeared in 1986's Blue Velvet after completing rehab, he was back, baby, and would go on to star in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, a bunch of other junk, and of course, his best role, the singularly thumbed Howard Payne in Speed. Your life is empty because you spend it trying to stop the bomb from becoming. And for who? For what? Do you know what a bomb is, Jack, that doesn't explode? It is a cheap gold watch, buddy. You're crazy. Sophia is home and healthy and looking adorable in a purple dress with a white collar and black tie, complemented by her teal cardigan. She's back because she forgot something very important, the wine. No, not for her dish, but for her. She drinks it during two occasions, when she's cooking and while watching My Sister Sam. Depending on what season she's referencing, Sophia could have been enjoying wine while watching the pan dauber, wife of Mark Harmon, and Rebecca Schaefer comedy My Sister Sam, it could have been on either Tuesday or Saturday nights. Everything starts like a knock at the door. You don't know what it is, but you know who it's for. That's the way we began in this north inside. Oh, something so good must be right. Okay, total side story here. While I was looking up the theme song, I was very upset by the opening lyrics, which are... Everything starts like a knock at the door. You don't know what it is, but you know who it's for. That's the way we began, and there's no end in sight. Something good must be right. And for anyone who doesn't know or remember, the star of My Sister Sam, Rebecca Schaefer, was killed by a stalker who showed up at her door and shot her when she answered it. I find that very eerie. When the girls realized Dorothy was lying, okay, when Blanche educates Rose on the fact that Dorothy was lying and no one actually called to say Sophia was sick, they realized just how much she doesn't want to go to the funeral. 
In fact, taking a seat on the couch, she outright refuses to get on the plane, letting her fear override her need to be there for her friend who needs her because of her fears. Well, that does it for Rose. If Dorothy doesn't have to face her fears, why should she? Blanche is the lone supporter, pointing out that if they give up now, they will have let their fears win, and she won't be having that. They are strong, courageous women, and she is going to make sure that they will march out of that door with their chins up, chests out, and butts tight, because it looks good. And they are going to get on that plane with their butts tight. Tighten those butts. Butts tight, I said. Tighten them. Butts tight. Finding themselves on what looks to be a little 20-seater plane, Blanche is lucky enough to get a window seat, but unlucky in that she's sitting with Dorothy, who is actively bruising her arm. Asking her friend to maybe give her arm a rest, Dorothy apologizes before finding something else to grab, Blanche's neck. Clarifying she meant for Dorothy to hold something that wasn't part of her body, Dorothy gets herself together, holding on to the armrest. When Rose comes to take her seat, she's delighted to show them a large bolt she has found on the floor, which maybe should have been turned into a flight attendant. Dorothy isn't worried. She knows where the bolt goes. With her, off of the plane. Before she can fixate on the hardware any further, a noise distracts Dorothy. When she is told it was just the door, she can't believe they would do that. Just close the doors? Taking over the PA system is Candy, the adorable older flight attendant. Forgetting there are safety precautions on planes, Dorothy doesn't understand why they have to talk about mishaps. Blanche is a seasoned flyer and tells her it's nothing, just little things like running out of ice. Or gas, Rose points out, undoing all of the good Blanche's talks have done. Talking to us about sudden mishaps is Meg Wiley. Her four-decade career started with Mr. Peepers in 1952 and also included The Twilight Zone, The Untouchables, The Addams Family, Perry Mason, Star Trek, Lassie, Batman, Bewitched, Designing Women, Family Matters, Coach, and ended with Mad About You in 1995. Now this is the first of several appearances by Meg with the girls. We'll get to see her three additional times throughout the years. Hoping to relax her friend more, Blanche gives Dorothy a glass of champagne. And then she steals Blanche's. But the drink isn't helping. It's just making her more nervous that she'll burp, change the cabin pressure, and crash the plane. A fantastic example of a mishap. Dorothy then calmly and peacefully asks Rose to put her seatbelt on over her mouth. Changing the subject completely, Blanche asks Rose to practice her speech again. Giving it a try, it's not the warmest regards, saying that her aunt was rigid. Dorothy's champagne-influenced brain pointing out, yeah, especially now. hey yo. After everyone is settled into their seats, what was a plane of hatted men becomes one of only bald ones, just like in Blanche's dream. As Dorothy continues to get punchy, even loosening up Rose, Blanche is the one terrified now. She is nearly hysterical when she realizes that she conveniently hadn't told the girls the entire dream. Well, it just so happens it very specifically takes place on an airplane and they crash into a mountain. Seeing as they're headed to the ocean, I don't think she needs to worry about any mountainside collisions. Candy is back asking the passengers to get ready for takeoff, also asking that if anyone has found a large bolt that they turn it in. It's um from the drink cart. Yeah, that's it. With all three women distraught, Blanche is certain they're going to crash. But Rose reminds her, this isn't your dream. You haven't heard the voice of God yet. Sure, maybe not God, but 
Just then, Pilot Lord comes on the intercom to discuss the flight plan and to terrify Blanche. Playing the voice of Captain Lord is Paul Ross, who only had nine roles in his career, his biggest coming at the start of this clip as Mr. Sit-Up Britain in Bridget Jones's Diary. Hello and welcome to Sit-Up Britain. As the short flight goes on, the ladies are all shaken, just like the plane does when they talk, hence the no-talking rule Dorothy has implemented. Rose understands, but she just wants to say, in case they don't make it, that she's glad they're all together to get through this. Blanche agrees. It's just like the time they had a storm and lost power. Frightened, they all cuddled up and told stories. Rose's being that Charlie was the only man she had slept with. Dorothy's being the same about Stan. Blanche sharing her shoe size was actually the unbelievably small five and a half. As the girls hold hands, saying their goodbyes, Dorothy finally snaps out of it, realizing they've had a wonderful flight thus far and are only getting in their heads about the danger. She asks that they all calm down and enjoy what they can. Just then, the Lord is back. There's a tropical storm a-brewing and they won't be able to make it to the Bahamas. That's different from Blanche's dream, and now Dorothy has faced her fear. So they should all be fine. Well, sure, the two of them face their fears, but Rose still hasn't spoken in front of a group. Coming up with a fantastic solution, Blanche tells Rose to go get on the intercom and give that speech. Without hesitation, she does just that. With all the bald men in agreement, Rose goes on. She wasn't close with her aunt, an aunt that would scare her with fake teeth, howls at the moon, and jump scares from the closet. Her aunt's death was scary, not in a mortal way, but in a Gerplantivkirgen way. But thanks to Aunt Gretchen, Rose was forced to get up in front of people and speak. And it went well, which is maybe something positive to come from Aunt Gretchen's passing. It forced all three of them to face and overcome their fears. Horrified to find Rose having taken over the PA, Candy demands she sit down. She's not at one of the Copacabana nightclubs. Lord is back again, joking about the plane tipping over before getting the girls home safely. Back at the house, Sophia is on the couch in a spring explosion bathrobe reading a magazine. Surprised to see them home, she's certain Dorothy got too scared and wouldn't fly. With pride in her voice, Dorothy explains how she did get on the plane. Blanche telling of the similarities to her dream, Rose adding that the bald men were all actually former Mr. Cleans, the cleanser's spokesperson, and they had been headed to a reunion. As for Sophia's contest, it was a final two showdown of Louise Polito's Chicken Cacciatore or Sophia's Muscles Marinara. Louise, Al Capone's piano teacher, who was 103 years old, couldn't handle the pressure of the competition and fell over dead. So I guess Sophia won by default? She's not celebrating, though. She has a funeral to attend on Saturday. As sad as Rose is for Sophia's loss, she's a lot more sad to learn Sophia volunteered for her to give the eulogy. Oh, Sophia. Coco, your feelings on speaking in public. I always have a little anxiety about it, but I feel that the closer the the appointment with that reaches, the cooler I get with it. Mm. And to the point where I'm not afraid at all. So if it's like a month away, you're at a 10, and then when it's you're going on stage to do it, it's, it's like a one. one. Yeah. Oh, that, how interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's inevitable. Mm. But the closer it gets, you just can't stop it. That, <laughs> that, that, that rock's rolling downhill, baby. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to, well, I guess I'll be run over by it. I guess it's my <laughs> metaphor. So, which is a good thing in my metaphor. How do you feel about flying? 
I'm not looking forward to doing it again. I haven't done it since before the pandemic. Not looking forward to it. I don't like, there's a lot of X factors in the air, a lot of different opinions <laughs> and a tight space. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm yeah. getting, I get more nervous about flying the older I get. That too. So like on the scale of one to 10, 10 being like, I cannot get on a plane. Oh. Where, and one being like, I don't even think about it. Where do you fall on Probably that? four. Okay. I think I yeah. think about it a lot. Yeah, I, I feel the same. And I think about air disasters a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so much. Coco, general, Hi, generalized question. Oh, what are sure. your biggest fears or fear phobias? Drowning. Terminal illness. Being assaulted in some way physically. Uh, houselessness. Mm. The, the dark. I know you and I share Oh, the, the dark. dark. Yes. very. Yeah, the dark I'm afraid of. Yeah. Yeah, we watched Jackass Forever recently. There was this uh, a bit where they were like attacking them in a dark, completely dark room. Oh, yeah. And that was very scary that to watch. That was awful. Yeah, I don't like the dark. What else? Nuclear war, home invasions, so food you're, poisoning. You're a pretty relaxed guy. Dying in the hospital sounds bad. What else? What else? <laughs> what else? <laughs> Etc. So on and so forth. How about you? Spiders. What is it about the spider that is so scary for you? Uh, you can't trust them. That's true. Where are they going? Where are they right now? Yeah, well, that's true. Like, here's this guy up here. He's chill. Daddy long legs. You can chill. You're just up on the ceiling. You're looking for little dust mites, whatever you eat. I don't know. But it's not me. But the fast guys, the thick boys that are like, zoop, 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 ah, oh, which way am I going? Huh? Oh, uh-uh, no. But I don't think they want to. I don't think they want to bite you. But it is a fear. No, it's not a bite thing. I don't. I'm not scared yeah, of being bit. Oh. I'm not scared of like. Was it like that? It's on you. I just don't want it on me. Yeah, I don't want to not you. know where it is. I don't want to. I don't want it in my shirt, and then I can't find it, and then it's on my body, and no, 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 no. So spiders, um, crashing in a plane is a fear. So oh, it's like I thought you were addressing spiders. I thought you were like so spiders <laughs> go crash Back in a plane. Off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Flight stuff in general is like stressful but yeah it is just that full-on crash where it's the out of control falling in the air that scares me uh home invasion scares me like nighttime hearing, yes. hearing a noise at night is a fear yeah just like and i think almost everybody ha i would hope so that like you'd better why is the dog barking be vigilant guys shower shower attack is something i think of a lot. oh yeah i would i mean shower attack but also falling in the shower yeah again and getting hurt <laughs> yeah shower tag well not now because everybody's been home all this time but home by myself showering like oh i came home from work and hop in the shower every noise it's like okay why are the dogs barking is that a normal oh. amount of barking okay it is choking to death classic yeah that's and, a bad one and now getting older it's like stuff with the kids nieces mm -hmm. and nephews yeah. it's like those quick little instantaneous accidents and they're gonzo just like that. Yeah. Like that teen that was sword fishing and got a swordfish in his yes. mouth. Yes. The sword of the swordfish went up in his into his mouth. His skull. And he lived. It's totally fine. Yeah, that kind of inst yeah. yeah, weird weird freak accidents and car accidents. I have a lot of car anxiety. Yeah. I'm afraid of a lot of things, but I think that um it's like because I'm afraid of so much, I think I've I've come around the other end of it. Yeah. So it's just like, um, I, yeah, I'm afraid of it, but I'm definitely going to die from something. 
I mean, if you were going to ask me to eat a banana, that would be debilitating. I could not do it. But just like, the asking. Yeah. <laughs> I would just fall into a crumple on the floor. Yeah. He if, asked you, me if anyone ever banana. meets um, if anyone meets Alicia in person ever, just go banana <laughs> and she'll fall over dead. <laughs> Don't do any minions quotes. <laughs> As simple and fun as this episode is, there are some really great points made. Everyone is scared of something. Getting therapy is a great option for someone dealing with a fear or phobia. Facing your fears can help too. But what I felt was the biggest takeaway came from Rose's speech. She's right. When dealing with your fears, logical or not, having friends by your side can be all the help you need to conquer them. And if your supposed friends laugh at, mock, or dismiss you, well then, maybe they aren't the friends you thought they were. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we discuss the upsettingly topical Letter to Gorbachev. But Blanche's fears twos. Will Dorothy rip the arrest? Whoa. Sophia isn't a fan of her. The foot that you can't. Oh man, you almost choked to death on a now and later and didn't say anything in class, I guess. Yeah, I was in my religion class. I started choking on a now and later, a, a grape one. And I was like, this is it. And, and you I'm, just sat silently. I kind of was sitting there and just kind of like working at it. And I was able to get it. I was able to, to get it. But I guess I was just going to die otherwise. Classic I Josh. Shy. I don't want to cough. I don't want to interrupt anything or bring, bring attention. Don't mind me. I don't want to be a burden. I'll just die over here. A <laughs> couple of burdens hanging out with each other, burdening yeah, each other. Yeah, we really are. Yeah, we're like. <laughs> I love you and I hope you love me. I'm Stop sorry it. I exist. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know you're happy I exist, but I don't know if I am. I'm sorry that you love me and that I need love. <laughs> also not unusual, about 40% of people report experiencing... Experiencing? 40% of people report experiencing... Oh my God. Experiencing, hello. 40% of people... <laughs> There's always one. Also not unusual, about 40% of people report experiencing sky anxiety. Did I say it? Experiencing? Also not unusual, about 40% of people report experiencing... Oh my god, I can't get into it. Uh, I can't do this word. I think it's experiencing going into sky anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of jumble. That's a lot of jumble. That's too much jumble. Hey. <laughs> Colin Farrell giving us a better Italian than... Jared Leto. <laughs> okay. This this week it's pickles. <laughs> when you hear it, call the hotline. <laughs> Dorothy went to a therapist and got got help. <laughs> Before she could hop on a plane to go to her sister's wedding, Dorothy went to therapy. <laughs> Inside you go, studio dog. She knows that. <clears throat> Damn. Hello. Uh, 
<sighs> and let's not forget deep blue sea. <laughs> My hat's like a shark fin. And they are going to get on their plate. Blah, blah, blah. Clarifying she meant for Dorothy to hold on some. Blanche is undoing all of the good Blanche talking to us about said mits. Whoa. Blanche sharing that her shoe shot shoe shies former Mr. Cleans, the cleanser spokesperson. And you're the hardest person to edit, by the way. Doctors are their worst patients. <laughs> oh my God. Did you know there's a Minions ride at Universal Studios? I did. It's a fantastic ride. Is it, it like is the one so that's like funny. the screen? Yeah. Yeah, I've been on it. Okay. But the waiting room? Yeah. Before you go into the big part, like the first where they kind of section you off into yeah, your group. Yeah, you're like standing around. And yeah. then there's that weird smell. Yeah, is it bananas? It's banana. Is it real Because banana? all they eat is banana. And so that's like the whole joke. So they just pump fake banana smell into that room. It was, that was hellacious. You don't like fake bananas bad too? Any, don't even, don't, I don't. Can you even look at a runt's candy? I can't even look at a, a the yellow sun. But I was like, <laughs> what? You might as well have dog crap funneling in here. Who was like, yeah, we're all okay with a banana smell. I love the boss baby. <laughs> they should do a Boss Baby Minions crossover. Oh. And then Megamind versus Gru. Madagascar versus Luca. As simple and fun as this episode is, there are some really great points, mate. I bit my tongue. I bit my tongue. Throwing up is like my biggest fear, oh. but I'm conquering it because I've been throwing up more. But um. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've been encouraging that. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.